give a get around. Give it up for Matt and Delano and Amanda. That was like Groundhog Day meets Jack Bauer. I'm stuck. Yeah, some of you might be overthinking that. That was just meant for fun. I just want you to know that. Like, what is that? What does that mean? What? Yeah, that was deep, wasn't it? That was so deep we got stuck. And so, uh, anyway, hey, welcome, welcome to New Beginnings. We are in a brand new series called Twenty Foe. Um, that's how you say it if you're a little ghetto. You know what I'm saying? Twenty Foe. And uh, anyway, I wanted to take a look at something very unique. I've always been fascinated by, it, and it's the subject of time. Um, time is one of those things that is 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 is, is it, can, it can be a mind bender and it can fascinate you. And what the Bible says about our time is incredible. And so the the, the typical thing that we think about. When it comes to time, is what time is it? I mean, isn't that where we go with our time? How many times a day do we look at our watch, look up on the wall? As a matter of fact, like, because like during the day today, you will always, how many of y'all do this? How many of y'all during my sermon look at your clock at some point and think, when's he going to be done? Is he almost done? He normally gets done about this time right here. Is that, yeah, raise your hands. Okay, I, I'll judge you. And just, just so you know, I have a clock in the back. That I really can't see. And, uh, and then I have a clock right here underneath this little computer monitor to always let me know what time it is. And um, I try to like wrap up at a certain time. Try being the key word. And so, uh, so we're always conscious of what time it is. And so unless you're in a casino, there's usually a clock everywhere. And you're always aware of what time it is. You're always, now you don't even check your watches. Now what do you check? You check your phone all the time. How many of y'all stop wearing watches? You just stop. You're like, no, I got the phone thing now. I'm going phone. And so you're always thinking, what time is it? And depending on how your life works, like if you're a student in here, you're always trying to figure out what time class starts, what time class is going to be over when, or when lunch starts, or when I get out of here. If you're at work, you're always thinking about time. Am I going to get there on time? How many of are sweating it out? How many of y'all uh, rush to work every morning, putting your makeup on as you go? Sweating the time? No, y'all are good then. Okay. So, so, cause you're sweating what time it is and you don't want to be late. You want to get there on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so depending on your job, you are always thinking, when does that meeting start? When is this going on? What time is it? Although I don't think that that's the best question that you can ask yourself. The Bible says that there's actually a deeper question that you should ask yourself, but that's the question we normally ask ourselves. And we're a very time conscious people, aren't we? We have a bunch of phrases about time. Listen, listen to this. Um, I just lost track of time, right? We will say that. We'll get lost in, in, in crocheting or a good TV show or, or what. How many of y'all, when you used to, I don't know if y'all did this or not, but like y'all ever like get on Netflix and start watching a TV show and then you're addicted to it. And so you just keep going and you don't even have to hit the button. It'll just come up and count down like the next episode is going to start in five seconds. Don't even move. Just stay there. And because I don't want you to move. And, and so you just get caught up. And then all of a sudden, four episodes of 24 go by and you're like, oh, my gosh, I lost track of time. Um, you see somebody that you haven't seen in a really, really long time. You see their kids went from here to here and you say questions like, where has the time gone? You know, where's the time gone? If you're a business guy and you're on the go, your time is what? Time is money. Time is money. Uh, if you're hanging out doing nothing, people say, oh, well, I'm just killing time, just killing time. Um, if you're too busy and people you know, tell you you need to chill out, you say, they say stuff like, well, you need to take time to smell the, the roses. Yeah, yeah, And then, Or if something bad has happened in your life or you're waiting for an outcome, they'll say, only time. Only time will tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're very time-conscious people. Always thinking about time. The Bible people were time people. 
Um, Paul said stuff like you need to redeem the time for the days of evil. James said that your life and time is but a mist and a vapor is here one minute and poof, it is gone the next. Solomon said that there's a time and a season for everything under the sun, right? So he talked about times and seasons. Um, listen to what we'll take some encouraging words from the book of Job. This is what Job said. Job says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end without hope. I mean, that's encouraging. Thank you, Job, for making me feel better. By, by the way, how many of y'all know what a weaver shuttle is? Yep, I didn't either. I looked it up. You know, like three of you. Yeah, you don't even need to know. Don't worry about it. You go to the store and you buy clothes. But a long time ago, they used to have to weave clothes. And basically it was this, y'all ever see the thing where they got the foot and the things are going up and down and all that. And then they would take a stick and go, shh, shh. That was the weaver shuttle. He goes, that's, that's what, this is how Job felt about his life. He goes, this is my life. Shh, shh. No hope, you know, so if you'd have known who his wife was, you'd have felt like that too. So anyway, um, if you read the book of Job, his wife was, was a, a wretched soul. And so anyway, I'm just talking about the Bible. The Bible said she was crazy. I didn't say that. And so, so anyway, the Bible says that, that there's a lot to think about when it comes to time. Here's something interesting I learned about time. Um, did you know that, that. Really, the minute hand on the clock didn't become popular until the Industrial Revolution. Like, we always know minute hand, don't we? You got the little hour and you got the big minute. You know, you teach your kids how to tell time because you don't want them to be the kid that can't tell time. And so, so yeah, but up until the Industrial Revolution, you just had an hour hand. Like, what an interesting thought. Because when you're an agricultural society, you don't care what minute it is. You don't measure speed in, in, in minutes. You, you don't measure the speed a lot. You measure the speed of a seed. When you're in an agricultural society, you've got to plant and everything's in seasons. And so when the sun comes up and the rooster crows, I get up and I do my thing and I can see the sun take its arc during the day. And I generally know how much time I have, but they didn't work by the minute hand. But when the Industrial Revolution took place, the minute hand became way more popular because it was all about getting as much done as you possibly could in a small amount of time. And so you had the idea of. And I think many of us would be better if we if we didn't look at our clocks so much. This is why the Bible probably says, be still, you know, at least sometime during the day. Be still. Don't look at your watch. Be still and know that he is God. Um, Have you ever noticed that this is another interesting thought? Why is it that when you're young, time moves so slow and yet when you get older, it like flies by? You ever thought, remember when you were a kid, like Christmas could never get there. Your birthday could never get there. And then all of a sudden, like, it's like, it's always Christmas season. Like, cause in September they're busting out Christmas stuff on you and you're like, I, I can't get away from it. And you got post Christmas stuff in January. And so like, it's always Christmas. That's part marketing, but that's part time too. And so, cause you feel the same way about taxes, don't you? It always comes. Like tax season is always coming. And so why is it that when, and there's actually like a scientific psychological reason as to why time moves slower when you're young and to why it moves faster when you're old. Now, now here's the other thing, and we're going to get going here. I've been told that when you reach a certain age, that you change the way that you look at time. Now, again, I haven't experienced this yet, but I've been told that when you get somewhere in your 40s and 50s, that something happens about the way you look at time, that you just kind of change a little bit. And what you do when you're young is, is you count how old you are, don't you? If you have little kids, you're so uh, on top of this thing that kids now measure their age by the quarter. 
Because remember, you used to say, well, like, I'm nine. But, you know, like, you wanted to be older, so, like, if you could, you'd say, I'm nine and a, I'm nine and a half. That's a big deal. But, like, if you can really get on, you're like, I'm nine and three quarters. Like, that's mature. And so, so when you're young, you're always trying to figure out, like, how old am I and how many years have I got underneath my belt? But what I've been told is that when you get in your 40s and 50s, you actually look at it different. And you don't look at how old you are, but you actually begin to look at the question of how much time do I have left over? Because you feel like, well, I'm on the, I'm on the back end of time. Like time was moving this way, but now it's shrinking this way. And time is compressing now, and I, I'm, I'm running out of it. I only have a certain number of days. I only have a, a certain number of months left. And so, because, as a matter of fact, I was introduced to this because um, somebody told me about deathclock.com. Has anybody ever heard of this? Have you, how many of you put your, you've done death clock? You've done death? Nobody? All right, don't do this during my sermon. You'll get distracted. But after the sermon is over, go to, don't, maybe you shouldn't do this. No, I'll go ahead and do it. Deathclock.com. I did it and I'm still alive. It's not like go, you're going to die. It's deathclock.com. What you do is you enter in basically, um, it's only like two or three little bits of information. It's like, are you negative, pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Are you just kind of in the middle? And then it you know, has a little bit of like a BMI count. Like, what's your BMI? And are you a po- positive person or a negative person? And then they're going to spit out to you a number. So do y'all, y'all want to know when I'm going to die? It was May 25th, 2053. So whatever time you want to spend with me, get it in now, okay? 2053 is coming quick. So anyway, deathclock.com was was made so that you could get a general idea of when you were going to die. It's kind of morbid sounding, isn't it? That's kind of depressing. But the idea is is that when you hit a certain age in life, you realize that time is indeed running out, that time is compressing, that you, you have maybe less days ahead of you than you did behind you, and, and you want to figure out how to make the most of your time. And so here's where we get the notion of where we're going today is, is that the, the answer or the question we should be trying to answer is not what time is it. The most important question that we can ask ourselves is what do I do with my time? That is the question that we ought to actually be trying to figure out. What do I do with my time? And, and, and here comes Moses. Moses speaks to this in the book of Psalms chapter 90. Now, most of the Psalms, we don't ever think about Moses when we think about Psalms. Who do we think about typically? David. Yeah, David was the song guy, a little harp thing. And, you know, he, he wrote most of the Psalms. But Moses had one, which means this is way before David. He writes Psalm chapter 90. And his whole point has to do with this idea called time. And the reason why Moses to me has kind of a unique perspective on time is because of the way his life unfolded. If you know anything about Moses, you, you remember the story where they were killing all the baby boys. So mama took him in a basket and shipped him down the river and who found him? Pharaoh's daughter found him, adopted him, kind of raised him in his own. And so he, for the first 40 years of his life, lived in Egypt. He learned to walk like an Egyptian he learned to talk like an Egyptian. He, he, he literally, that was bad. He literally, how many of y'all missed that joke? Have no idea what's going on. You're too young. So anyway, he was literally a prince of Egypt. Y'all saw the cartoon movie. And so he, he grew up in the palace and he grew up as a, you know, we're led to believe he grew up in, even under like military tactics and business. He had the highest level of education that you could possibly get in the world at that time. And so here's Moses. And at 40 years of his life, he starts to get unnerved about something. He recognizes that, okay, I grew up 
with the Egyptians, but I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. And all those Hebrews over there are enslaved. And they get beat and, and whipped and picked on and, and they're forced labor and all that. And like something's not right about this. And so Moses actually decides to, um, to take vengeance upon one of the taskmasters who's beaten up a Hebrew and he kills him. The Bible says he looks to the right, he looks to the left, like ain't nobody looking. And he goes and he kills the guy. So that's the guy that wrote the first five books of the Bible, by the way. So, so he kills this guy, and, and then it, it, somebody was watching, it, it news got out, and so he went from being a prince of Egypt to being a fugitive of Egypt. And so the Bible says that he runs out to Midian, and basically he goes out into the desert area and becomes a shepherd. And for the next 40 years of his life, does nothing, lives in obscurity. Is a shepherd. He knew every day when he woke up, when the sheep are out, I go out with the sheep. And when the sun goes down and we bring the sheep, I got to be with the sheep. And so for 40 years of the next time that God had given him, he basically does not a lot. And, 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 And so this is where... This is where the challenge is when it comes to like, what do I do with my time? Because the struggle is, is there is a gap between the way young people deal with this and the way older people deal with this. The way young people deal with this is this, is when you think about time, you think you're the point. Like you think it's about you. And some of you are like, it's not. No, um, it's not about you. When you're young, you do. When you're young, it is hard to think about what happens in the lives of other people outside of your little world and your brain and your perspective. And as you get older, your question is, is not, am I the point? Your question then becomes, what is the point? Like, what's the point? And so Moses has this unique perspective because he lived one way for 40 years, another way for 40 years. And, and then he's, he's challenged with the idea of like, what, what is the point? And God shows up to him and says, well, I'm the point. And I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. And so at the, at the age, the ripe age of 80, God shows up to him in a burning bush and says, you're going to, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. We're going to leave. And he gives him the plan at 80 years of age. And so that is that unique context where, where he says, you know, what's the point? I'm the point. I, I, I. Apparently God has a point for your time. He has a purpose for your time. And now, with all that being said, let's read Psalms chapter 90. The Bible says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So when he says that, that, in essence, God, you have been our dwelling place, he's talking about the people of God, the people of Israel. And he goes on to say this. He goes, before there were mountains or before there was even creation, you know what there was? God. And you know what happens after the earth and after the mountains and after all of creation? You know what's after that? God. And he says, you know what? You know what's in the middle of all that? God. So he's saying, this is the context. For all of the ways that you should view time is that time is a created thing that God made for you. God didn't need time. You needed time. So he made time, put you in time so that you could measure your life so that one day God would pull you out of time. Does that make sense? But time is a created thing. And before God created time, God was still there. And even after time ceases to exist, God will still be there. And so you know what your time really is? Insignificant. You know. In terms of the bigger picture of thing, the point is not about you. 
But there is a point. He said the way that you discover that point is always, always, always in the context of God is bigger than it all. Verse number three. Um, this is kind of weird. Now, you know that this is a psalm, so they, they kind of say things poetically or flowery or, or, or different. <laughs> um, this is almost like Gandalf-ish from Lord of the Rings. He says, you turn your people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. You, know, you shall not pass. You know, return to dust. So, okay. Return to dust, you mortals. This is God just saying, look, your, your life one day will poof and will cease to exist. You didn't exist just 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. You, you didn't exist. In another short amount of time, you're not going to exist anything. You've got this window. And apart from God, when you make life about you or you never, ever discover what the point is, your life will be insignificant. But if you will draw on a bigger context that says God was before God was after and God's in the middle. And so if I can make God the point of all my time, then my time can have significance. Listen to what he says here. Verse four, a thousand. You've heard this before. A thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night, a thousand years to God is like a day. Can you think, like, what year is it? It's 2014. Can you go back a thousand years? Like, like that was like, like just before the Crusades were taking place. And, 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 and Moses is saying like that whole span of time from, from like the Crusades till now, that's like a day. He goes, actually, it's kind of worse. Listen to what he says in the second part of this verse. He goes, or like a watch in the night. You know what a watch in the night was? Well, it was dark out and they want animals to eat you. And so what you would do is, is you would have uh, three or four shifts throughout the night that somebody would stand guard or stand watch. And so basically a watch in the night was like maybe three or four hours at, at most. And so he goes, that's what your life is like. Like, once again, thank you, Moses, for this encouraging kind of idea. Thank you for making me feel better about my time. And so. And what Moses is, is saying is, is not, you're going to see this come out in the verses to come. He's not saying that your life is insignificant. What he's saying is this, is if you miss the context of why you have time at all, if you miss the point, because the point when you're young is you, you think you are the point. And if you keep living life like that, you're going to live a life of insignificance. Have you ever met somebody that it was always about them? Did you even really like being around them that much? Hey, have you ever pictured, think about world leaders. You ever seen world leaders who made life all about them? Are they ever remembered well in history? No, they never are. So life is, is never about you and you are not the point. But then again, the other thing you don't want to do is fall in the trap of getting old in your life and never realizing what the point is. Because sometimes you can look at life and get really discouraged because apart from God, your life is going to look like everybody else's life. Have you noticed that all lives in America look generally the same? Let me give you, you're all born, right? Now I'll start there. Well, I went to elementary school, middle school, high school. After that, you either went to, this is where it really gets crazy, it gets diverse here. You either got a job or you went to college. But then after college, you caught up with the people that got a job and now you got a job. Okay. And then you try to get married. And some people get married once or twice or five times or whatever that is. And then, and then, then you, maybe you try to have kids and then you, some of you have one kid or two kids or three kids, you know, you have that, the kid thing and your kids grow old and that time flies by. Yep. And then, um, then you retire and then you play golf and then you get sick and die. Yay. And if that's your view of life, 
And if that's the, again, when you never figure out what the point is, you fall into the pattern. You're like, everybody lives this. How many of you know somebody that has that life? That was their life. You know, yeah, yeah, we all do. Why? Now, in other cultures, it would be a little bit different. They would have their own version of what pointless life looks like. Now, all those things can have incredible significance. But only if God is the point. Let's, let's keep going. The scriptures are better. So the Bible says this. The Bible says, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up. But by evening, it is drying with her. He's repeating the same point here to drive home one big idea. Is that God is always the point. And he's not saying your life doesn't matter. And it's not saying like it's so brief you shouldn't even care about it. He's actually saying it's so brief you should really care about it. Does that make sense? If it's so brief and it's like a if it's like a poof, if it's like a, a night in the wild, if it is that brief, it's not that it's insignificant. It's that you should take care of it all the more, which is why we should be asking ourselves, God, what do I do with my time? Listen to this. Verse 10, he says something interesting, even Thousands of years ago, he said this, he goes, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we, we all fly away. It's against the song. We all fly away. Same idea. Your life is short. Take care of it. Your life is brief. Make the most of it. If it's about you, if, if, if the point is that life is about you, you missed it. Or if you never, ever figure out what the point is. You missed it. See, life is time and time is your life. Because when you run out of time, you run out of life, right? Your life is a stewardship. It's something that you've been given. Does that make sense? Your life here on earth is not permanent. It's a window. It's, it's, it's not guaranteed. It's not promised. We could lose it at any moment. And so God says, because it's so brief and because it's so short, make the most of it. Let's keep going. Verse 11. If we only knew, um, implication we don't. If we only really got it, if we only really understood, implication, we don't understand. If we only knew the power of your anger, the, the other way that you would maybe interpret this is like your glory and mad, like how big you are, like you're, how, how legit you are. Your wrath, this is a really weird translation, just so you know, like this was hard in the Hebrew and this is the best they could do with it. Listen to this. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Everybody's like, huh? Here's what he's saying here. I'm going to give you the, 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 the Todd translation of this. Is if you really knew how great God was, if you really knew how holy God was, you would sit back in awe and fear him. And in light of that, you would be incredibly careful with what he's given you. Because his anger is as worthy as the fear that I can give him. Verse number 12, key verse here. Teach us then, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us because we don't know. Teach us because we're probably going to not figure this out on our own. Teach us to number our days because guess what? Our days are numbered, aren't they? I got until May 25th, 2050th. My days are numbered, give or take. If I work out and don't eat ho-hos, I may get to 2054. Every time you look at a clock, every time you look at a watch, every time you look at a calendar, every time you look at your iPhone, remember this. 
is that it is a reminder that your days and your time is shrinking. Therefore, make the most of it. And Moses said this, and this is the card that I handed you on the way in, because I want you to take this home and I want this to become your prayer for the next six days. I want that prayer to be, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, here's a question. How do you number your days? What does that even mean? You, most of you know how to do this, by the way. Um, okay, l- ladies ever been a bride? You know how to number your days. You had a wedding date, and you had all kinds of stuff that you needed to get done before that date came, didn't you? And so you had a list of all the things that you had to get done. You ever had a deadline? You know how to number your days. You ever had a due date, ladies? Pregnant ladies, you had a due date? You know how to number your days. You ever had like a final exam that was due, guys, in college? You remember that? You, had, you knew what you had to do leading up until that date and time. And he goes, that way of living is the way that you ought to make the most of your time. You number your days. Let me help you with that. We're going to get real practical here over the next couple of weeks. But I want to take a moment and get practical right now. Because earlier today I introduced an idea, a, a, a quagmire, if you will. Why is it that... You know, a word of the day. Uh, why is it that when you're young, time moves so slow? And why is it that when you get older, time moves so fast? You ever wonder that? The reason why is because in your early years, most of your experiences are new experiences. And as, have you, as, as you have new experiences and as you perceive time, you catalog and detail all of your memories in such a way that it makes time slow down. But as you move forward in life and life gets more routine and more repetitious, there's nothing new happening. Your mind doesn't take any real notes on it. And so because of that, in your perception of time, it moves, it moves faster. Why? Because there's nothing new going on. Hey, do you remember, um, like we talked about kid, uh, kid Christmas. I remember going to Hume Lake Christian camp. Anybody ever been to like Christian camp before? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember this. This was an absolute fact. And I would even tell the kids, I would say this, look, your first two days at Hume Lake are going to feel so slow, but your last three days are going to fly by. Why is that? The first couple of days when you were there, everything was so new. You were trying to get your youth camp girlfriend. And so um, you, you had all these new experiences that you were trying to, to figure out. Um, you, hey, think about your first job. Think about some of your pivotal years in your 20s. You remember that first job? It seemed like you learned so much, changed so much, grew so much. It felt, I remember this. I had an, I had an internship, and, and then I worked for a gentleman. And, and to me, it is the most pivotal time in my life when I look at the history of my life in which I changed the most. And I always looked at it as it was just this incredibly huge amount of time. You know how much time it was? Like less than three years. To me, it was huge, though. Um, so, so my point is, is that as you collect these routine experiences and repetitious experiences, you mindlessly kind of work through life. You check out and then you just begin to go through the motions. The same answer to what do I do with my time or how do I make the most of my time? And the answer to this question of how can I slow time down, I think, begins to become the same answer. Are you ready? I'm going to give you four things I want you to begin to think about. Number one is this is I want you to actually create new experiences. This is going to help you slow time down. I want you to slow time down so that you can make the most of it. But many of us, we live a life that is absolutely, completely predictable. And every once in a while, now, now don't get me wrong, sometimes dedicating to a certain cause is fantastic. Because you can overdo this. 
Like, don't get it wrong. Like, you can be nutty about this. As a matter of fact, there was a, there was a Friends episode um, where, where the character Ross, his New Year's resolution was to do something new every day that year. If you ever watch Friends, this is the stupidest Friends episode they ever made. Ross, on like day three, goes out and buys leather pants. And, and, and then he goes on a date, but, the, but like, like the heater's broke, the air conditioning's broke, and he gets hot. And so then he goes to use the bathroom, and his pants like um, stick to each other, and he can't get his pants up while he's on this date. And so he tries to put water on it, and then he tries to put like baby powder on it. And then he calls Joe, he's like, what do I do? I've made like a white pasty thing in my pants. And it's like, it is the most awful, you're like, no idiot in his life would ever do that. But so I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be Ross. I don't want you to be like, every day I'm going to do something new. Because if you do that, you'll miss out on the priority of life. Does that make sense? Here's what I would say. When you think about it from a biblical standpoint, the Bible does say, behold, I am the Lord and I do a new thing. Here's a thought. The Bible says, sing a new song to the Lord. You ever wonder why God says sing a new song? What's wrong with the old song? We sang Amazing Grace today. That's old. What's wrong with a new song? Well, here, here's the thing with old songs and new songs. Do you know that your brain, after you sing a song upwards of 30 to 40 times, that you will mindlessly sing that song every time forward? You ever do that in the radio? You heard that song for years. You just sing along to it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about the words. And you certainly don't even think about the meaning. You just sing it. And so God says, I don't want you to mindlessly worship me. Sing a new song. Get a new revelation. As a matter of fact, some of us, that's the way uh, our, our life with God is. It's repetitious and it's boring and you think God is lifeless. Actually, uh, the question that I would challenge you with is this, is when was the last time God did something new in you? When was the last time God showed you something new or taught you something new? Because that's when time slows down and you create a new memory and a new experience. And that's how you make the most of the time. That God has given you. And some of us need to do this just to take a break. As a matter of fact, there, there's a, a, a gentleman that, that said this to me, and it was, it was profound. He said, Todd, do you think it would be wise to take 2% of your time to plan the other 98 to make sure the other 98 was on point? And the answer to the question was what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want to live all of your life. So like, no, no, take time away. Get away from it all. Get away and think, get away and pray. Get, and, and, and this is how the phrase goes, that a change of place mixed with a change of pace will equal a change of perspective. Like get away, do something new, get out of the rut, get out of the routine. You know what a rut is, right? It's a coffin with the ends kicked out and go create some type of new experience with your spouse, with your kids, with your relationship with God. Let time shrink down. Somebody say that was good. Number two is this. Focus on the positive, not the negative. Focus on the positive memories of the past. Here's why it's important that you do that. You say, Todd, that time has already gone. Here's why. Some of you live in your past. And if you live in your past, that means you're not living where? You're not living in your present. If you're living, see, here's the reality. You have all been given um, a certain amount of obstacles in life. Bad circumstances. We'll put it like this. All of us have had a certain amount of sin dumped onto our lives from other people, from circumstances, from our own foolish decisions at times. And so we all have these bad experiences. And those bad experiences either create a bitterness or they create a fear, all of which shackle you to your past. Because when you're afraid that that might happen again, you're not living in the moment as God would have you live in the moment. 
And when you produce a bitterness, normally your life is always connected to them and what they did to you. And you think about them all the time and they and they bottle you up inside. And so when you what you need to do is actually begin to heal from your past so that you don't dwell on all the negative memories of your past. But you can be thankful for the good memories of your past. And in doing so, you get to live. You get to live in the present. Number three is is the opposite. You need to have a hopeful anticipation of the future. Yeah. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already attained all this stuff or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Like I move forward. I take hold of that. Everybody say the purpose. I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's a profound statement. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but here's what I do. I mean, this is where my focus goes. I forget what is behind and I press or I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what you need to do? You need to have a forward focus. And it should be a hopeful anticipation of what your future is. Because many of us, some of us are not bound by the fear and the bitterness of our past. We're actually bound by the worry of our future. Think about that. Many of us have worry. And here's what worry is. It's a negative possible outcome in our future. And so you know what we do? We take our mind and we dwell on it. And when you're dwelling on what possibly might happen in the future, which we call worry, if you're dwelling on that, you know where you're not? You're not in the present. Why? Again, some of you are focused on the bitterness of your past. The others are are worried about the possible negative future outcome that could maybe possibly, I don't know, come. As a matter of fact, I talked to a a woman today, and, and if you've ever had a doctor's report, you know what this is like. You went in to go get the test done. They told you, oh, well, it might be this, it might be this, we need to run some tests. And then they tell you what all these evil, terrible, bad things with hard to pronounce names are. They say, oh, you might have this. You might have glenophobia, you know, or, or, or some weird name. You're like, what is that? What, what, or it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. And so you know what you do? If you allow worry to capture your heart, you're sitting there thinking about what negative possible outcome might be. And in doing so, you're missing out on making the most of your time now, how I many you know now is the only time you really get to have? Also, you can do this. Number four is this, is that wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be there. You ever hung out with your kids, but your mind is somewhere else? You hung out with your kids, but you're either mad at somebody in your past or you're worried about something in your future. Or you're just doing the same old routine thing that you've always done and you're doing it mindlessly. Are you following me now? How do you make the most of your time now? Wherever you are, be there. When you're with those people, be there. Let your heart be in the moment. Let your emotion, your mind, your intellect, all of it, let them be there. That's how you make the most of your time. Because God has given you a plan. God has given you a purpose. God has something specific for your life. And he set you in time that you might accomplish that. And so he puts you in a world with a family and people and loved ones and a, a job and a career. And he's saying, make the most of your time. The point is not about you. And it's not that there is no point. Here's the point is that it's all about God. He's given you a small window of time. And therefore, as you surrender to him, as you learn to number your days, you gain a heart of wisdom. So that you might know what his purpose and plan is for your life. So that when you're there, you're there. That's how you make the most of your time. Bow your heads with me this morning, please.
you got that card, and, and I want you to stick that in your Bible. Um, I want you to stick it in your car, but not in front of the speedometers, because I don't want you to speed for Jesus. Um, stick it in your mirror. Stick it on your refrigerator. Stick it in a place where you're going to go to it every day. And I want you to, every time you see this card, I want you to pray it. I want you to reflect. I want you to pray the prayer, Lord, teach me to number my days. I've got a limited amount. My time here on earth is not unlimited. There's a limited number of days. How can I make the most of it? What is it that I need to be freed from in the past? If you're in here today and you're holding on to some bitterness from your past, I guarantee you it's, it's, it's limiting you from being in the moment now. I beg you to move towards forgiveness. I beg you to move towards God that he might heal your soul. Move away from that bad experience so you can focus on only the good things, only the, pos- only the things that you can learn from from your past. For some of you, you're battling worry. Some of you have stress right now, like you're under stress. And that stress is taking you out of the moment. Wherever you are, I want you to be where you are, where you are at, with your kids, with your family, in the context that before time began, there was God. And after time ends, there will be God. And right now in the midst, God is with me and he has a plan and a purpose for my life. Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom so that I might know what your purpose is for my life. God, let that be our prayers. We kind of pursue over these next few weeks. God, how? Not what time is it? But God, how should I use my time? Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give a little big hand clap this morning?